Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. That's the second time it's gone off. Never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. That's... Yeah, <laughs> they have asked for that, really. Uh, you can laugh. I'm the World Cup. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. What are you doing down here? You're showing me, man. <laughs> I know it was meant as a tribute, but the kids who held up the sign at the Emirates Stadium saying, Mercy Arsene, we are too young to remember, but our dad has told us everything you've done for us. You are a legend. Well, look, they meant well. The kids <laughs> meant well. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Monday Second Captain's Football Podcast. I didn't see that. <laughs> yeah, I saw it. It was on Match Day 2 last night. I think it could have. I wasn't even in the too good, too bad. There wasn't. It was just in the intro little montage to the to the game itself. Yeah, oh you couldn't God. actually see the kids. You could see a bit of the father and some little hands on either side. Right. So quite young, I would say the kids, but they they did mean well. Hi, Kieran. Well, I'm just not entirely sure that they meant well, Lord. I mean, I mean, I. I oh, I, this could have been a bit of passive some aggressiveness. Maybe? Classic shade being thrown on <laughs> Arsene Wenger there. Come on, I mean, I don't know that you could write that side and not think, yeah, that's. That's See, my kids aren't as cynical as adults. That's something you need to learn about the world. Maybe they meant it as they wrote it. Well, yeah, if the kids wrote it on, then I'm sure that's what they meant. But I'm not entirely sure that the kids wrote it. That's what I'm telling you. Yeah, out of the mouths of babes. Indeed. A big thank you to those of you who signed up to the World Service last Friday to hear the Wenger Breaking News special. Good to have you on board. Great to have you on board, I should say. And if you join for the football, well, you're in for a treat this week because our intrepid news hound, Ken Early here... Hi. Just, just as soon that wasn't the wolf hell that was a murph hell just as soon as Ken finishes up in studio today he's boarding a flight bound for Liverpool the great city of Liverpool home of the Beatles and Liverpool Football Club <laughs> to, report, to report on the first leg of the Champions League semi-final against Roma actually going to Manchester Owen it's impossible to get a flight into oh, Liverpool home of the Stone Roses couldn't even get there on the ferry I mean you could get on the ferry and you get to Hollyhead but you couldn't get on the train I would have had another of those train situations oh no no, no, no. So, you don't uh, need that. Are you looking forward to seeing the PFA Player of the Year in the flesh? Oh, yeah. Should be uh, should be pretty exciting. Um, assuming he, he got back safe and sound and fresh, mm-hmm. uh, ready to train, ready to compete. Oh, you mean from the awards, do? I'm sure he'll be okay. Yeah. To hear Ken's reports from Anfield during the week, you can become a member now on secondcaptains.com forward slash join if you want the full address there. I don't want you to miss your flight, though, Ken, so let's barrel straight into today's report on sport. So, well, we talked. I don't know if you noticed, but um, Ben Perkis, the chair of the PFA, as reported by Henry Winter, announced that there was at some point last night, Harry Kane is so prolific he's able to score without touching the ball. I mean, come on. This is, this is getting a bit much. Is it not? It's too much at this, at this stage. So what? Harry Kane went to court and got a goal out of it. Can we not just move on from this? You know, it's not. It's uh, he wants he wants goals, and he f- he felt he scored the goal, and I don't know he just Ben's, wanted to see justice done. Yeah, maybe Ben's not on Twitter. You know, maybe maybe Ben is still living in a world where things jokes date in the way that they used to date twenty years ago, whereby you would joke about something for a couple of weeks, yeah. and then you, you know you just don't joke about it anymore. Well, like, Whereas with Twitter, it's like you get six hours. But did you max, see? But you see, even then, Wembley Stadium's Twitter was was saying. Uh, oh wow! What a first half that was. Whose goal was better? If anyone says Kane, they're getting blocked. And this is uh, 
This is after the first half of Man United. Not as bad as the official FA Cup Twitter account. Did you oh, see that one? What did they, oh, they they had something about? They tweeted. Uh, oh, Chris Smalling against Harry. What's that in your pocket? What's Chris that in your pocket, Chris? And then they have a gif of Chris Smalling saying the Harry words Kane. Harry Kane. Um, this is the official FA Cup Twitter account. Well, Not a Man United. Did you think supporters that, group? Did you think that was that was bad? Uh, well, it was worse than the jokes about claiming goals. It was a I bit more insulting. It was a bit insulting because Kane played so badly. You know, I mean, mm. at some stage you're just going to have to say, "Well, I am the Twitter account of." A tournament, not a Manchester, well, it's Manchester funny, United though. fan. I saw Matt Law saying on Twitter, this is ridiculous from the FA Cup Twitter account. Why risk upsetting England's star player and potential captain so Matt close Law's to the World Cup? Daily Telegraph? Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, uh, suspect, suspect Tottenham and Southgate will be fuming. Now, I'd be a bit concerned about England's chances in the World Cup if Harry Kane has put off his stride in the group stages, mm. thinking back to this horrific tweet from the uh, from the FA's official account. Mm. It's just, it just wasn't, it was intended to be funny on social media, which wasn't really happening. Harry Kane played like he already was at the World Cup, wearing that England shirt uh, that shrinks so many, uh, <laughs> so many great players. I mean, really, because, okay, Harry Kane is coming off an injury. Maybe he came back too soon. Maybe it's, he's thinking more about the short-term goal of scoring a bunch of goals and winning the golden boot between now and the end of the season rather than the slightly more medium-term goal of going to the World Cup and playing well there for England. I mean, if you remember Harry Kane at Euro 2016, it's one of the worst tournament performances there's ever been from England. But it was just that every th- from an individual who, of, of whom so much was expected or at least hoped for. Um, and it didn't really didn't happen for him. I mean, Harry Kane against Iceland is one of the worst individual performances in the history of England. Uh, and it was, it was just that other people were were in the firing line ahead of him, m- mainly Roy Hodgson, obviously, mm. uh, that enabled him to sort of slink away from from the scene of that. But it was quite worrying to see him yesterday just. So ineffective. So, because usually Harry Kane is a kind of centre forward who's able to get involved in the game quite a lot. I mean, not just by by the by the way that he's very decisive when he gets the ball and he can usually get a shot off, but he does get himself involved in the game. And I thought it was going to be like that in the first minute. The first minute was probably Tottenham's best move of the game, apart from their goal, where there was like a nutmeg. I think there was a nutmeg, and then Harry Kane did a little spin around. Uh, Herrera, maybe his whoever was marking him, maybe it was Madic, and got into space and had a shot. And you thought, well, Harry Kane seems to be playing well. That was all he did the whole game. Um, so really, a, a very worrying, worryingly flat performance by Tottenham. We'll, we'll talk to um, Jack Pitbrook about it a little bit later. He, he was talking about, well, can you call it bottle? When do you bottle a game? Is this bottling it? He concluded that yes, <laughs> that Tottenham had bottled it pretty badly, but. I kind of have to agree. Uh, you know, you can't turn up to a big game like that and, and produce so little. You know, you're going to be criticised. This is a team that's been, I think, solidly praised for a couple of years. Like this, you know, a team that's really making progress. But now there's, now it hasn't. They, okay, they haven't made any more progress this season. They're, it's a worse season than last season. And there are a few problems, it appears, on the horizon now. Uh, I mean, I'm not sure if you're talking about necessarily believing all the all the Spurs disaster rumors that their supporters are spreading all over social media because it's it's kind of natural for a Tottenham supporter to think that all this if it's good it's going to end it's 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 already about to end. It's the history of the Tottenham. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, Giorgio. Well, Giorgio not laughing too much himself, incidentally, because Giorgio uh, and his Juventus boys. I don't know if you saw. Kaladu Koulibaly's goal for Napoli against Juventus, Owen. No. It was a last-minute header from a corner by a big, strapping centre-half, Kaladu Koulibaly, which, <sighs> let's just say, I saw Buffon, I didn't see the whole game, but I did, did see Buffon sort of pacing around um, uh, afterwards, looking very disappointed, and he had a black eye. Now, I don't know if he just got the black eye as the ball went past him. The sonic boom of the ball <laughs> passing him into the net, but it was some header on. Uh, Lorenzo Insigne uh, was asked by a journalist, Juventus said they would play like a Champions League final, and they lost. Insigne said, yeah, they're used to it. Um, so, what the situation at the top of Serie A is that Napoli are one point behind um, they're one point behind, but Juventus have to play Inter and Roma in their last 
four matches. They both have four matches left to play. Inter and Roma, Juventus have to play. You'd, you'd kind of expect the Juventus thing to do here would just be to close out four, four victories, no goals conceded. But they're playing two of the teams that are chasing Champions League qualification. It's pretty difficult. I mean, this is these difficult set of fixtures at this point in the season. Napoli's fixtures aren't so easy. There's also a Napoli thing to do, which would be just to get three more points from the last four games and, and you know, and, and everyone would have a cry. The streets of Naples would run with tears. Mamma mia! Um, but look, uh, that's the way it's going. But but just to get back to the uh, Tottenham situation, and, and I don't mean to be uncharitable to Manchester United here. They were clearly the better team. Um, they go into the final now against Chelsea, uh, who scored an amazing goal, Giroud's goal. Um, pretty easy victory against Southampton. I mean, Shane Long. Oh, God. Oh, no. Oh, Jesus. That was a heavy touch. It really was. When you touch the ball outside the box and it runs out for a goal kick, that's a heavy, heavy touch. And he was substituted not, not too long after that. Well, yeah. Um, Mark Hughes' reaction was just, how can you do this to me? Yeah. How can you do this to me? I mean, Mark Hughes, Mark Hughes would want to work on that as well a little bit. Um, yeah, it's not a great look. No, you you shouldn't you shouldn't as a manager make your contempt for your players that obvious. And then David Moyes having a pop at Declan Rice. What is it with the Irish internationals this weekend? Well, the, the, I mean, why didn't Declan Rice just head the world into the net himself? Owen, at least he could. Once you get ahead on it, you know you can't really legislate for what happens then. But the last thing you can do is dummy it. English football in particular is shirk a header. Yeah, um, he. I mean, it was unlucky. I, I saw he tweeted, didn't he tweet? I'm young. I learn. Yeah, yeah, another one of these footballers. Yeah, you learn not to do that after yeah. you make a mistake in a game because there's going to be a lot of mistakes. Last thing you want to do is get a reputation for 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 mistakes. I mean, I'm some, young. I'll make mistakes. It's all a leaning pro- learning process <laughs> a, to get to the top. Is it Thank a leaning? You, or did you yeah. say leaning? It's a leaning process. <laughs> you did get a lead. You did get a lead. Thank you to the fans again who were brilliant. Heart emoji, hammer emoji, ready to bounce back next week. So yeah. That's, Live from Declan Rice 17 well, hours ago. Well, the other results kind of went their way, so they're probably going to be all right anyway. Um, but, okay, so we're... So, yeah, Manchester United obviously going to be in the final against Chelsea. Uh, Pogba, pretty good again, I would have th- thought. Um, it's a good final too, isn't it? It's it's interesting, probably Mourinho Conte's last Conte, game. Conte's last game, chance for Mourinho to shove some silverware down the throat of his critics and so on. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, it is going to be a funny game. We're looking forward to that one. Shoving the FA Cup down someone's throat sounds it's like a big trophy. painful process. It is a big trophy, yeah. But but there is um, stra- uh, the, the the strange thing from from the Spurs United game was just was how poor Tottenham were, uh, how little of a response they had once they actually conceded the equalizer. Never mind, went behind. But when they went behind, there was you know okay, you, you need to chase this game now. What are you going to do? The answer was. We don't know. We we don't know what we're doing. Uh, and then Pochettino afterwards, in a, in a pretty bad mood, uh, is talking about. Um, it, well, he's he's saying stuff like he kept talking about another coaching staff, either with me or with someone else. This club needs to get to the next level, either with me or with somebody else. You're like, why are you talking about that? Why are you saying somebody else? Why you you keep saying that? Is has have you been tapped up by Arsenal? Is that the explanation for what we we've, we've just seen? You are the next Arsenal manager in the greatest heel turn in the history of Tottenham. <laughs> now, uh, I, I, I'm sure, I'm sure Arsenal will be delighted to hire Mauricio Pochettino, but I'm not sure if he's on their uh, shortlist. But Pochettino, maybe he was just in a kind of obviously he just lost a big game, very disappointing. And um, unlike a lot of managers, he doesn't have a personal problem with Mourinho, not yet anyway. They've never really been butting heads over there the same. There was that gift pot of. Pochettino kind of turning his back on that was really shaking his head that, that, is, that is pretty funny that's I a mean, good if Jose had seen that then I would say that they, 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 would, have, they would have beef problem. now he's yeah. probably he's seen it by now but yeah we, you know the, you know the, what I'm talking about it's, it's that old Trafford yeah. Mourinho's like meh 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 uh, and Posh just turns away with a expression of whatever um, but again he had the he had the politeness to make that facial expression away from Jose uh, uh, so they're, they're not it's not like it doesn't come with the added bitterness of having been beaten by Jose that some of their managers you know Arsene Wenger whoever would feel but still pretty annoying so maybe he when he went into that press conference he was saying he sounded a little bit 
a bit petulant. Like, uh, I'm thinking we're talking to play with kids next time. Yeah, in the FA Cup, like, because they've lost the last two semis. Yeah, It's my job to be criticized when we don't win. The problem is the perception sometimes is not realistic. But maybe next we'll provide the possibility to play with kids. And I'm sure it'll be fantastic for experience and everything. Then we stop to arrive in this situation. So, <laughs> uh, all right, you're saying you're not even going to try next time and that's and that'll show everybody? This is uncharacteristically, you know, this this sounds like a man who's a bit sore sounds losing like a big a, game. And he's not normally that bad a loser, but it sounds like he's... I don't even know if bad losers, right? He's just in a he's bad mood. He's losing badly. He's he doesn't losing lose, badly. He doesn't lose case. that often, actually. You know, they don't yeah. lose many games, really. Um, the, the, big, the big defeat that they had previously in the season was against Juventus, and he kind of was resigned to that in a sense. You know, I don't, I don't recall him being, being kind of snippy after that one, really. It was just kind of like, okay, we got done there. He sort of accepted what had happened, but this time he seems it's it's more. I think he's he's kind of seems to be irritated that people expect too much from Tottenham. But this is this is the the fact of it. I mean, Tottenham have been playing really well for a long time now, but have this chronic inability to win their real crunch matches, and that is just the pattern that he has to change or accept that people are going to point to it. It's all very well being quite consistent in the league for a long time, getting good league position. But every time it seems that there's an away game against a, a difficult team or a big cup uh, occasion like this, uh, and Tottenham do not play to their potential. So, you know, what's the problem? Is it just is it just bad luck every time? Um, an emailer, Des Earls, mm-hmm. uh, was making the point that the book with Gillam uh, Balagay coming out in mid-October did seem to coincide with a run of poor results in the next two months to mid-December, won three of nine Premier League games. Yeah, he I mean, said I remember players may have seen it as a betrayal of trust. Plus, it was made public that Poch has a touch of the well, you know, crazies. <laughs> he's into all that. Um, he's into all that energy stuff. Mm. No, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, a lot of people, a lot of people are into all that. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean you're crazy. You could simply believe in energy fields. It could, uh, you know, am I, can I say for sure that they don't exist? Can I? For the purposes of the audio podcast, Ken raised his palms in supplication to the to the ear, as if to say, I just don't know. Do I know for sure that a bowl of lemons does not uh, soak the negative energy out of the air in a room? I'm going to say you can't tell me that for certain. No, and I've got a bowl of lemons at home in my kitchen. Oh. Not since, but I just usually have one there. But it is there. How and are it, the and negativity it is levels in the kitchen? Very yeah. low. Very low. High positivity, low negativity. Well, you know? You're my, particularly happy in the kitchen, though. You like cooking it's my fa- so It's my favorite uh, yeah. It's my favorite space. So It is your favorite space. So, uh, okay, so where were we? Let's talk about a man who, who's given his life in a lonely cause for scarcely any re- reward, and this is how he's thanked. Arsene Wenger owned. Uh, Arsene Wenger, as you know, is a... Uh, is an aged uh, an aged nun who has been uh, who has been uh, in a lighthouse for the last twenty two years, <laughs> uh, maintaining a lonely vigil, uh, and all all uh, Wenger gets is you know just a bowl of pottage every day, just to keep hunger at bay as as he uh, you know sends the light sweeping out to sea. Bowl of lemons. This is all he's been doing. For, for all this time, at least this is this is what you would think when you kind of well we 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 listened to some of Arsene Wenger after okay the, the, what what was the setup it was Arsenal against West Ham uh, you, so you kind of know Arsenal are going to win the game because they've won every game against a team lower than them in the table at home as Wenger said we've won the home championship which isn't a thing <laughs> but you know we've won it I mean they've 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 lost all their away matches this year which nobody else in all of English football has has managed to do so they they are bottom of the away championship they're getting relegated from the away championship but they are winning the home championship says Arsene Wenger now I I, I watched this game because I thought okay you know now that sort of the the boil has been lanced of you know Wenger is, is no longer going to be there clearly what we're going to see is everybody can can express the positive feelings they have towards Wenger because the negative feelings have drained away 
Uh, but it wasn't really like that, actually. Loads of people still didn't bother to turn up, even though they've already paid for the tickets, right? Not a good sign. I thought, surely they'll come along just to see see Arsene off. But nah, maybe not. Maybe they'll leave that to the very last game. It was a sunny day. Maybe people thought, there's a lot of other better options that I have here, even though I've already paid for that. Arsenal take it. Um, but Arsenal gave a very typical performance, very typical Arsenal performance. It wasn't like the players felt liberated or felt like they wanted to do honour to Arsene Wenger. It was just the usual, like gaping uh, <laughs> spaces at the back, uh, West Ham slicing through almost at will, you know, Arnautovic having chance after chance. Uh, Arsenal then took the lead, Arnautovic equalised, and then Arsenal ran away with it late on after West Ham made a mistake. So very, very typical. Um Afterwards, we'll, we'll hear a little bit of what Wenger was saying uh, to the press afterwards. Personally, I believe that uh, this club is respected all over the world, much more than in England, uh, that uh, our fans did not give the image of the unity I want at the club all over the world, and uh, that, that was hurtful, because I feel the club is respected, and uh, overall, uh, the image we gave from our club is not what it is and not what I like. For me, that is absolutely vital. Sport, sport uh, we can speak and speak and speak. Sport is about winning and losing, and you have to accept that you will lose game, even though in we will not be here anymore, you know. <laughs> and, uh, but it's as well about something bigger than just winning or losing. And uh, it's a, it's, it's, uh, for me, that was always a worry, how the club is perceived worldwide for kids who play in Africa, in China, in uh, America and uh, uh, the dream that it can create for young children who want to play football and uh, all our clubs uh, have a responsibility in that. Hit me now with the children of the world in my arms is what Arsene Wenger appears to be saying there. He's thinking about children in China and Africa. Change the system! Use your brain! (laughs) (laughs) I mean... I, I, I'm actually staggered by that. I'm staggered. He's not talking about the fans yesterday, but at the weekend. He's talking about the fans over the, the fans last couple over of the seasons. Last while, you know, they haven't, they haven't like our Arsenal fan TV the, friends. The, we the image of unity. Well, I mean, it is. There must be Arsenal fan TV because Arsenal fan TV is the most sort of famous manifestation of something which any visitor to the Emirates since I think about 2009 on will have. We'll have seen. We'll have, we'll have seen. I've been. I've been there when Arsenal have lost games. I mean, I remember the twenty. Remember they lost two one to Man United, um, twenty twelve January twenty twelve. I think that's like more than six years ago. And vitriolic, absolute, absolute. Like, oh my god, this is this is like uh, it's like a revolution is about to. But this crowd is going to storm that dugout and and carry away the. The, uh, the 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 guys in there to the guillotine. This is like what it must have been like, you know, outside the Bastille, and <laughs> that's six years ago. You know, I I, I think it's I think it's a very interesting uh, way of looking at how you're how you as a fan are supposed to behave. This idea that if you're a fan of the team. Therefore, that means you can't criticise them. Unbelievable. This idea that you know, oh well, we're all a part of the club, so we all have to behave like we're a part of the club. But you're yeah. not a part of the club. No. Like, the the team is paid to be there. The management are paid to be there. And you're paying them all to be and there. You're, and you're driving all of the money that's in the game. So this idea that you are beholden to the club in some way to behave as if, well, you know, we're the, we're the official, you know, uh, writers in the program and uh, presenters of the television show on the bespoke TV uh, uh, channel, which, again, we are paying for. Mm. Like, it's bizarre. It's utterly bizarre. And you see it on, you actually see it on social media quite a bit as well. That, you know, what are you doing? Like, you're, you're criticizing the team. Mm. It's like, well, of course you're criticizing the team. I mean, mm. that's, I'm a fan. That yeah. is literally the and least. The team are rubbish. Yeah. I mean, it how, boils how, how down many, to the fucking manager. How many times? He's finished. He's finished. How many times have you seen Arsenal just lose games in such an embarrassing way? I mean, we're talking like 8 2 that lost man. 8 2. That would. Most managers would be sacked. Five one, they lost at Anfield. They were were they not leading the league at that point when they lost five one? You know, six nil to Chelsea in his thousandth game. 
and uh, you know, four nil up against Newcastle, and you, you you draw four. I mean, come on, like, and this has been going on for years. The Newcastle game is like twenty eleven. I just can't believe. I I mean, talk about like an out of touch elite. This guy is get, has been paid an absolute fortune to do what over the last few years has been a terrible job. The fact that he had done a good job before then doesn't change the fact that he'd done a really bad job since then. I mean, it's interesting that he has that idea, though. I don't know if it's correct that there's a different interpretation of Arsenal now abroad than there is in England. It's not something he would have even had to consider when he took over 22 years ago. Yeah. But now there's a worldwide fan base of all these clubs. I don't know if that's correct, that they are viewed differently in Africa or China. It's or still wherever. not something he should be worrying about. Owen, look after things at home and the the imperial situation will look after <laughs> itself. You know, I'm sure that in China, they also like to see the team win once in a while. You know, it's not, I mean, Arsenal managed to Arsenal win games. We all know the games they win. You know, in, in China, they, they might even like to see Arsenal go on a bit of a Champions League run or not lose 5-1 every time they, you know, play Barnby. I mean, it's just, you know, I was watching over the weekend, they were playing loads of Arsenal nostalgia stuff. You know, I was watching, you know, the Premier League years, 97, 98, sort of reliving my youth. Reliving the moment when, Al, when Neil Lennon or Alan Shearer kicked Neil Lennon in the head, <laughs> which was described uh, on the voiceover as, uh, Alan Shearer became the subject of an FA inquiry after tangling with Neil Lennon. <laughs> tangling. <laughs> tangling with Neil Lennon. He booted him in the head. And then kind of was like, oh, shit, that was a bit much. Yeah, and World Cup coming up. And then, yeah, and then, he, and then he, go, he tries to actually pull Lennon up. It's kind of like, like a big brother who's just bullied a little brother, you know, and, and resulting in blood. And he's like, oh, come on, you know, it's going to be all right. But uh, Lennon is, is having none of it. He's like, let me go. I am completely wallowing in this. Uh, agony for as long as is necessary. Shearer's like, you know, the, I'll do the talking here. Right? Yeah. When we get to mum and dad, I'll <laughs> explain leave the what happened to me, here. right? Yeah, yeah. Um, but Wenger, obviously, he looks a bit different, uh, although he's the same weight, according to David Dean, 75 kilos. Uh, same weight today as, as he was when he was hired. Lean is a greyhound, Ken. Lean is a greyhound, an elegant man, mm-hmm. in both in be- distinguished demeanour and also as a clothes horse, a fine man. Uh, a fine figure of a man, as the Guardian Sports 22 Wenger cover. Did you see it? It was actually very, yeah, very yeah. pretty, um, showing Wenger wearing uh, different outfits and in different poses, but always looking great. Oh, he's a handsome, handsome man. Um, uh, and what was interesting watching him was how he's just so much the same, you know, same accents. Uh, this, is, this is in 97, 98. Same phrases like look uh, as well overall. A uh, little bit, but of course, and and the same, saying the same stuff, talking about determination, belief, togetherness, a vibes man, always a vibes man, and you know nothing has changed. All this time later, he still says the same stuff in the same voice. Um, the difference, obviously, was that his players then were a bit better. Uh, I mean, at the time, it was like uh, the football of the future. Um, uh, Henri Vieira Pires Pires wasn't there in 98 but it was very it was kind of uh, it was really exciting it was like wow this is this is incredible we've never seen anything like this before and it's going to be better whereas ever since they moved stadium really and that's 2006 it's been kind of rather than it being here is a vision of how football will one day be and we're lucky enough to be like the place where the future has landed in the world here at Arsenal it's been here is modern football in the, in its present in its present way in all of its bland mediocrity. You know, here we are in this stadium, which is nice, but kind of feels like it could be anywhere in the world. I mean, it's a nice stadium. The food is good, the toilets are clean, spacious, and you know the sight lines and so on. But is it really? It's kind of a bit of a bland stadium as well. I mean, the first time I was there, I was like, oh, here, it's it's the Stadium of Light in Lisbon. They've just kind of done a cookie cutter, you know, job there. But, you know, it's the stadium, okay, the stadium is, is it doesn't have the, I'm sure it was when you went to the toilet at Highbury at halftime, it was a nightmare compared to what things are like at the Emirates. But you did, there wasn't anywhere else like it. You know what I mean? Aesthetically, you did have that, um kind of individuality whereas this is like a, a more of a, a generic uh, football limited 
uh, Arsenal Football Limited. And But then, you know, when you see what's actually happening on the field, the players are getting paid more and more. Um, they feel less and less of an attachment to the club, really. And and, it's, and all the best players left Arsenal over year after year. You know, they just kept Nasri, Fabregas, Van Persie because they were like, oh, we don't think it's going to work out here. So you had that kind of... It became it became impossible to believe in it. it. Became impossible to be excited about it, and it became impossible to believe in it. I think, in a way, the the anger which has kind of sprung up at Arsenal over the last few years is is an attempt to feel something. It's like you go to football to feel emotions with other people. You know, like that's the that's the thing that it does. Everyone is kind of feeling the same thing at the same moment. It's a great communal experience of which you don't find many examples of. But Arsenal were not really giving much in that way to the supporters. You got to bring up, so you got to have some kind of emotion to fill the vacuum, you know. And in Arsenal's case, it was anger, spineless. And I think the anger is actually justified. I mean, Wenger is talking about the fan unity. Like, how, how can you? How can he sit there and say that? How can he expect unity in the face of year after year of failure and the same kind of failure? The same kind of embarrassing results, the same flaws. You're talking about these Arsenal fans, though, as though back in the early days of the Wenger reign when they were winning all these trophies, there was some sort of rabid mob who got themselves worked up. Even in the Highbury days, it was notorious for having no atmosphere. Highbury, the library. Yeah. And then in the Emirates, it's just nothing's ever happened there, really, on a consistent basis to, to get them going. But mm. it just in terms of that, that way you phrase it, which is interesting that they are just manufacturing the rage to a certain extent to feel something they seemed happy enough to go along and just enjoy the football when it was good without necessarily getting too worked up about it I don't know if I mean manufacturing I mean you want to feel something and if, if and if no better solution presents itself then anger will do it's better than nothing um, I mean you know there is one way of looking at, at, at Wenger's time at Arsenal which is I would say the most cynical way And it, but it is Okay, it's it's hard to tell whether this was a decision Arsene Wenger made uh, and and something that he decided to do for for this particular reason. But the way that he actually ran the club, it was in, you couldn't tell. It was this is exactly how he would have re- run the club if he had made this decision. And the decision is effectively is I think the main thing here is to ensure the club makes money every year. Mm-hmm. That's how you get job security in this game. There's a lot of people out there who think it's got something to do with winning trophies. I have uh, won trophies. I've seen managers win trophies and get sacked. Uh, and I think actually the thing that really annoys a board about a manager isn't so much not winning trophies but as squandering the money. And if you can keep the money coming in, then Hmm. You know, that's uh, that's something which which all boards are going to look mm-hmm. kindly on. Then they're then they're prepared to look kindly on your general case. Do we see progress being made? I think so. You know? And and so rather than do risky things like spend huge amounts of money on signings, which he could have done. I mean, there's this idea that the Emirates, oh, the Emirates just dragged the thing down paying for the Emirates and Arsene Wenger's done a great job, you know, because He's under these financial constraints. If he's under such financial constraints, how did Arsenal manage to build up a, a cash pile of £220 million over 10 years? Well, by not spending it on transfers. <laughs> yeah, but the point is they could have spent it on transfers. I mean, why didn't they? £220 million from between 2007, £226 million actually, between 2007 and 2016. It's got to be something to do with the purity of vision that he had that we talked about on... Mm. Friday, and you didn't necessarily talk about it in favourable terms. He, just this one-eyed idea that he had a new, he had a way of doing it that was the opposite of financial doping, as he called it, mm-hmm. and that was by bringing up these young players and coaching them. Not even bringing them up, but I suppose it's more poaching them from elsewhere at sixteen years of age, yeah. and then making them absolutely brilliant by nineteen, twenty years of age. That, that was the that really was the, that was the theory. I mean, you know, there was some. I mean, he signed Robert Van Persie. Van Persie was eighteen. Van Persie went on to become a brilliant player and and won Player of the Year for Manchester United. Was it Manchester United that he that he won the eventually won PFA or did he win it in 2012 when he had a great season for Arsenal? Um, you know he was another one who who ultimately left and if he'd stayed maybe they would have won the league. I mean you could say that about all these guys. You know if they hadn't all left maybe we would have won the league. Um, but he won it with Arsenal. Yeah, he won it with Arsenal in 2012. 2011, 12, yeah. Um, 
But he could he could have been spending more, but he didn't want to for maybe self important aesthetic reasons, like oh no, we want we want to do it my way, the 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 organic way, and also maybe self preservation reasons. I make money for this board; this board's going to be happy. And it does look as though that's what he's been doing for a long time. I mean, he has also been doing that. Whatever, whatever the motivations were for, and this is annoying for supporters because when Wenger's getting paid, the board are making money. It's great for them; they can't see the problem. You know, so what's what's not to like here? We're in the Champions League every year, get to the knockout stages of the Champions League pretty much every year, making money, doing it on a shoestring. Fans are like, we're we're paying more than anybody else. They pay more. Why would you see this? You fucking liar! Well, catalyst for change, catalyst for bullshit. Gazidis gave a press conference uh, after the. Uh, this is on on Friday, which is which was quite dull, really. He mentioned that uh, they want someone who will play progressive football that will get people excited about our games. And I thought, okay, do you mean people? Because it sounded as to me as though he meant supporters. Because there's this thing of, oh, we're you know, there's a few empty seats now. Are people still as excited as they were? And I think I'm a, bit, I'm a little bit worried about that because it seems to me the wrong way to think about it. Don't think about it in terms of what's going to get the fans excited. The only thing that will get the fans excited is winning. Fans mostly, if they can tell the difference between good football and bad football, as long as you win, they don't care. It's fine. Just win. And fans will cheer on bad football if you win. We know this. It's fine. In fact, fans will start to, will, will develop sort of narratives as to how the bad football is actually good. <laughs> you know, the, that there's a lot of poets out there, there's a lot of Einsteins, and there's philosophers who will, who will talk a lot of nonsense about certain types of football being good. Well, you know, there's also manly men football where big lads uh, crash into a set piece and head the ball in. So don't think about football in terms of what will excite the fans. Think about what will excite your players. This is what... The, you play good football, not for the supporters, but for the players. That is what will keep them interested. That's why, like, the Tottenham players have been interested the last while. You know, because they feel as though they're part of something which is challenging them. This is like they're working really hard in something that is a really good idea. They've got a kind of a challenging collective uh, purpose. And this has been missing in Arsenal for, well, since, you know, the Vieira and Henri and Pires were finished. You do not have that sense with Arsenal anymore. That you've had instead this slackness, this like, it doesn't really matter. The same mistakes over and over again. Make a mistake, make the same mistake next week. <laughs> Still in the team two years later. You know what I mean? Remember Chamberlain running against Bayern Munich? Where is it? Why is nobody pressing? You could see that Arsenal had no plan for what to do when Bayern had the ball. It's like either they didn't have a plan, which they really should have, or they weren't bothering to put the plan into place. Why not? It's the Champions League. Come on, you know. Either way, you saw something profoundly wrong with the club at that moment. So I think what Arsenal really need more than anything isn't some kind of... Uh, you know, I've heard the name Carlo Ancelotti talked about a lot with this. Carlo Ancelotti is a, is a vibes man, like Arsene Wenger. He's exactly like Wenger. He's a guy who will come in and like pour oil on troubled waters and get everyone eating together and having a bit of crack and maybe it'll be good for the fans, the unity of the fans and all that kind of stuff. But that's not what they need. What they need is some really intense manager who's going to challenge the players to play good football again. They have a bastard, Ken. No, well, not, not even a bastard. Maybe a, maybe a, a nerd, an intense nerd. Um, someone like this guy. And the others won't be you with more energy in the five meters you have to do, you just make three. And these two meters make the difference. And that's why next season will be more difficult, our relation will be more harder. It happened in Barcelona, it happened by Munich, because I handle that and I know I have to press more, I have to be more in them, I have to control more the ways, the players, the time arrived to the training session in the right time, the, what they have to do, they have to do without the ball and with the ball. If don't, you will so, be catching. So you'll be stricter? More than this season. Oh, no. <laughs> Our relation will be not so friendly like this season. <laughs> That's Pep, who's just won the league, talking about how next season he's going to drive the players twice as hard because otherwise it just slackens off. Now, Guardiola's not going to be the manager of Arsenal. They can't get him, but they need somebody like that. They need somebody who's focused 
only really on football. It doesn't matter. I, I honestly don't think they need a charmer or a statesman or someone who's going to be good for the global image of the club, you know, around the world and all their colonies. They just need someone who's going to be serious on the training round and make those players feel as though this is... The, Ch the Chamberlain has to give them confidence. What I mean is the difference in Chamberlain between this time last year when he was still at Arsenal and now. The, he's, the, he's the same player. He hasn't, you know, he, he, he hasn't sort of been gifted any superpowers that he didn't have before. He's just focused and working on something in a way that he understands and actually he's getting somewhere. He's finally getting somewhere with his career. Who knows how many other of these Arsenal players that people kind of snigger at can do that, have that potential within them, which was never going to come out while Wenger was giving his life to the club, giving his, you know, give, never taking it to take a day off. He said he, he said he worked seven days a week for twenty two years. Like that could be counterproductive at a certain point. You need you need you need to take a day off from time to time. But I just I think that's the type of Arsenal manager Arsenal need. They they need someone serious. They need someone who's going to try and do something uh, sophisticated at the football tactical level. They don't need Carlo Ancelotti. But the temptation when you're a big money making club is always to appoint someone who seems like a safe pair of hands. I actually don't think Carlo Ancelotti would be that for Arsenal. Maybe he'd suit another club, not this one. But we'll wait and see uh, what direction they go. The report on sport ends right now. See if you don't get this out with Motherwell, you're a wee mate. Your bags in your desk, boom. Your bags in your desk, boom. I mean it, I'm fucking raging, speaking from my heart. Who would I want in? I've got big teddy boots here in. Mr. Tate, how you doing? Not too good after tonight. You got the job on the technicality of a legend who recommended you. Take no beat, I take no beat, I take no, I take no, I take no beat. Just so soft, don't try to get so deep. You know me, but I can't yell me, I can't yell me, I can't yell me, I can't yell, can't yell, can't yell me. You have lost the fans tonight. You don't deserve the fans. What's it, your fans? Just need your fucking work, wouldn't it? You are nothing, you are a fool, and you are a waste of time. Good night. Oh, the Guinness Book of Records stuff. Get a grab! the biggest fool in Manchester. The Premier League weekend was dominated by Arsene Wenger and the love-in at the Emirates. He says he doesn't need to die now as he knows what it's like with all the tributes that he's gotten over the last few days. John Broom, were you pleased for him that he finally felt some goodwill from Arsenal fans for the first time in about a decade? Um, yes, but is, is it true that he felt goodwill from all the Arsenal fans? Um, there does seem to be uh, some discussion over whether... He was shown enough love by Arsenal fans. Because I don't know about you, but when uh, the news broke, you know, just at 10 o'clock um, Friday morning, I thought that we were set for three matches of Arsene Wenger being completely wreathed in praise and everyone singing his name. And it didn't really seem to be like that at the Emirates uh, on Sunday. Um, I think there is a lot of reparation to, to go on between Arsenal the football club and their fans, and maybe, maybe it isn't just Arsene Wenger that's the problem there. Um, it's, I think he's worth the due praise, but there's a few factors to consider here because um, well, I was working yesterday afternoon, uh, just chatting to a few colleagues. Um, some of them, some of the younger fans of Arsenal don't actually remember. Arsenal being good under Arsene Wenger. This is actually a factor now, I think, at this point. And I was thinking about it. And it's like me watching Danny Baker's matches of the 70s when I was like a teenage student or something. Uh, it is such a long time ago that some Arsenal fans possibly don't know what they're actually supposed to be celebrating because it happened before they were aware of Arsene Wenger and football and all the rest of it. Yeah, it's it's amazing, actually. I, I, I was kind of blown away, particularly by what Arsene Wenger was saying afterwards. He came out with all this nonsense about the global image of Arsenal and kids in Africa and China who are playing football and the dreams that Arsenal can inspire and how uh, how it was hurtful because our fans did not give the image of unity I want. I thought this is this has got to be the most out of touch thing any manager has ever said. This guy is going on about the image of the club in China and Africa without apparently paying any heed to what's been happening in his own stadium for the last 10 years. Yes, and, and, and throughout those 10 years, you know, I've been a regular visitor as a reporter, and 
I mean, there are a lot of grounds out there where the fans can get restless. I mean, obviously, the London Stadium has been one in uh, the last couple of years. Everton's Goodison Park is one. But at Arsenal, it's it's not so much like a... It's not so much a rage. It's just this sort of apathy, this sort of, you know, sort of groaning, you know, not really that into it and a bit bored. And Wenger does not seem to, as you say, Ken, has not seem to have picked up on that vibe. Um, the other thing is... Is he referring to Arsenal fan TV? Does this mean that he was actually watching Arsenal fan TV? They got, they, they got their man. <laughs> Arsenal fan yeah, TV. Exactly. Troops, yeah. DT, Kalechi, the lads have have got that. Bring me the head of Arsene Wenger. And, and it was done. Yeah. And it, I mean, as you say, out of touch, out of touch. I think the thing is, if you speak to other Arsenal fans, uh, and I have done in the last week, I've been writing a couple of pieces, um, they will say that, uh, the lads of Arsenal fan TV, uh, Robbie in particular, you know, our proper Arsenal fans have been around for quite a long time, but they do not reflect the full view of Arsenal fans. But maybe uh, the way that that has been portrayed, and I think I think we've discussed it in the past, that maybe Arsenal fan TV had lost a bit of its luster in the last season or so, maybe because the apathy had become so great that there wasn't so much fun in watching uh, Arsenal fans get angry. But He's reinvigorated them. He's given them a whole new lease of life, proved them, vindicated them. Um, it's, and as for Wenger, um, I think for, to complain about the fans' reaction, I think in, in most cases, they've had quite a, a decent shout at being annoyed at what's gone on there. OK, but if we just uh, take the Arsenal fan TV, if we are giving them all this credence right now, and if we think Wenger is, does he not, and you can answer this, Ken, if you want, does he not have the right to be angry about being treated in that way he okay it, it looks it's hilarious whole arsenal fan tv thing it it's ridiculous and ludicrous and we can all have a great big laugh at these lads losing their absolute minds outside the stadium but if you're the human being at the center of that and being abused in that manner game after game it's gotta hurt a little bit but is it, you're talking as though this abuse was just coming out of nowhere like this like this was happening because like you've got this 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 decent man this this uh, dignified and urbane figure, Arsene Wenger, being beset on all sides by this scum. You know, that's that's sort of was a, like the you know this motiveless uh, malice that they have towards him. But it's because it's been Arsenal have been a joke. He's been presiding over a joke club that 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 is impossible to be taken seriously for ten years. You know what else is 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 horrible to watch? Oh, and you're saying your 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 stomach is turned a little bit by some of the no, awful no, no. scenes no, can of I, abuse. I, I'm not. My stomach isn't turned at all. I find it hilarious and ludicrous. As I said, I would say if I was Arsene Wenger, my stomach would probably be turned a little bit. Well, well your stomach should be turned by losing five one to Bayern and then losing five one to Bayern again and then losing five one to Bayern again. <laughs> Three times in a row, yeah, they no, lost my, my, my five stomach is one there too, yeah. to Bayern. That should be turning Arsene Wenger's stomach. He should not be moaning about the fans not projecting an image of unity. How can you project an image of unity when your team is just getting hammered and the same thing just keeps happening year after year and it's also the most expensive team in the world to support? They're, they're gouging the fans 74 quid a game, more than any other club in the world, to watch the same nonsense. And he complains about the fans being angry. I'm not even an Arsenal fan, and I'm furious with this. Thanks, Claude. John, over to you. <laughs> well, <laughs> um, I, I understand what you're saying, Owen. Uh, the personal attacks, uh, nobody, you know, after sustained, what, four or five years of this, you're not going to take it too well, though he could not watch. Um but yes, and I think actually one of the, the overriding themes of the, the Wenger farewell has been, and we've got to do it, the comparisons to Ferguson and the way that you actually look back on it. And Alex Ferguson, uh, a very proud man, is somebody that actually learned from his mistakes. He would adapt his team. He would adapt the people around him. He'd adapt his tactics sometimes. He'd, he'd pick up Arsenal's uh, broccoli and vegetables diet and go with it. Arsene Wenger is a guy who was even more autocratic than Alex Ferguson, kept the same people around him, uh, didn't really change the style of play. I mean, maybe he varied between 4-2-3-1 and 4-3-3 and stuff like that. But essentially, it's the same style of play that he, he arrived in England with. Um, and essentially, he never learned from his mistakes because he didn't actually think he was making mistakes. This is the right way to do it. And there are so many external factors that 
can be blamed. You can blame the building of the Emirates Stadium as as a as a big part of Arsenal's downfall around 2006 and so and so on and so forth. You can blame Chelsea's money coming in. You can blame Manchester City's money coming in. But then you compare it to Alex Ferguson. He adapted to all those changes. And this is the thing with Wenger is that one of the problems, one of the things that we always thought was eventually when it when it comes to the point where Wenger says it's all over, everyone will turn around and say, hey, Arsene, thanks for the memories. But the problem is there were too many bad memories for it all to be washed away with just one announcement on a Friday and a glowing tribute from Ivan Gazidis and tributes from Alex Ferguson and stuff like that. Those are people within the football industry. Football fans still have that, they still will still suddenly think, hang on, for 10, 10 years I watched my team get embarrassed in, in the way that, that Ken's documents it. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a fair point. Listen, John, brilliant stuff. Thanks, Emil. Cheers, lads. There's a voice. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Sorry, mate, that's actually my seat. What you think doesn't really matter. Seems an annoying to us. You walked away saying the word tosser. It happens at the Friends Arena, but Majesty and I are anything but friends. So you're going to be watching Mo Salah again uh, tomorrow evening. Oh, yeah. Which should be exciting. I'd say there's a fair statistical chance that you will see him score a goal. Possibly one of those chipped finishes, those little dinked finishes that he likes to he's been, produce. He's been scoring a couple of them recently, right? Yeah, got another one at the weekend. The weekend that he became the PFA Player of the Year. The only other live contender really was Kevin De Bruyne. Who scored an Who <laughs> reminded people goal. of the season, of the goals he was scoring earlier in the season. Amazing yeah. finish, yeah. One more goal like that between January and now, and I think he probably would have won Player of the Year. Mm. I mean, has he been the best player all round? Yeah, probably. You do think so? De Bruyne? I mean, probably. You know, he's made more of a difference to where the league ended up than anyone, any other individual, I would I would say. But... Uh, you look surprised there. I mean, the player, it's like the Hazard distinction, you know, oh, Salah is more of a striker than a player. Um but, you know, I think he scored 41 goals. He got a pretty good chance of... Has anyone scored that many... Has 40-plus goals and not one player of the year? I doubt it. Although I can't say for sure. But I think generally, if you get to 40 points... You're giving yourself every chance, I would a, say, yeah, if you're it, scoring 40 goals. Pretty much automatically triggers. Did Van Nistelrooy... Van Nistelrooy win it in 2003? Because uh, he scored would, 43 goals. Do you think I keep such a close eye on my tabs that I immediately close it? Well, you're, you're, I'll be happy to, I'm happy to tell you that I did not close this tab. Yeah. So, Ruud van Nistelrooy won Player of the Year in 2001-2002. Did he? Yes. He won Player of the Year, really? So, he didn't win it the following season when he, uh, when he scored way more goals? Thierry Henry, 2002-2003. Okay. Well, Thierry Henry probably scored a lot of goals as well. So, uh, score of great goals, Ken, as opposed to suppose van Nistelrooy. is more of a great goal, goal scorer. Score. Yes, yes on to borrow a phrase. Very simple question for Jack Pitbrook to answer right now. Did Spurs bottle it, Jack, in their FA Cup semi-final against Manchester United? Yeah, I think they did. I mean, we've had this conversation before and you never... I find it quite difficult with Tottenham. Like, not every defeat is a bottle and it's, I think it can be too easy to give them that tag when they lose. Like, sometimes you lose to a better team. But I think that this defeat was a bottle uh, because they were good enough to win. Like, they were so good in the first 20 minutes. Um, they'd beaten United at home, remember, earlier in the season. They had everything set up for them to win, including the lead, and then they threw it away. I mean, it's a little bit like the Juventus game, but kind of over a longer period of time. Like They got sloppy, they gave away a skilly equaliser, they panicked a bit, they then conceded another goal, which was probably even worse defensively, and then once they were behind, they didn't know how to react. Like, they didn't, you know, they dominated possession in the last sort of 30, 40 minutes, but they didn't create anything at all. Um, I mean, in a sense, it was like the semi-final from a year ago and they lost 4-2 to Chelsea. But I think it was worse because that, that Chelsea team was better than this Manchester United team. And in the intervening year, Tottenham have registered a lot of big home wins at Wembley. Like they've beaten Arsenal, United, Liverpool, Dortmund and Real Madrid. So they've proven that they can win these games. Um, and so I didn't think they lost, I didn't think they lost because of inferiority. I think they lost because they 
that you know that mental problem of not being able to get over the line. Yeah, I, I thought it was much worse than last year actually, Jack, because I remember that game and Tottenham played really well that day, and it was just Chelsea scored some unbelievable goals. You know, they, they were they just sort of were clinical with the chances that they got, and it was it was a brilliant match. Whereas yesterday, it did or not yet yeah, Saturday rather, it did remind me a bit of Juventus in terms of the lack of any response to going behind. Uh, for quite a long time, in this case even longer, half an hour. But whereas in Juventus, uh, well, Juventus scored two goals very quickly. It was kind of like a shock, a real shock uh, to, the ga- to the game and to Tottenham system. This, they had a lot of time to get their heads around the idea that this was a, a very even game. And, you know, they had a half an hour to respond after Manchester United scored. And there was absolutely nothing. Exactly, yeah. I think that's kind of a big, it's a big mental test of a team, isn't it? Like, when you get you know, if you get punched, if you can kind of get back on and, you know, get back up and start playing again. Like, if you can, if you can play well for a second spell within a game. Um, and I kind of, and that's, that is what Tottenham so obviously failed to do. Like, particularly, I mean, everyone knew that United were going to sit deep once they went ahead and Tottenham would have the ball and therefore they had, the, you know, the pressure, the onus was on Tottenham to create things. And yet, I mean, you can point to kind of, uh, what you might call like non-mental problems, like Harry Kane is obviously half fit, Moussa Dembele was obviously half fit, uh, but even then, like you know, when you have that much of the ball and you can throw on people like Lamella, you do have a you know, the, the onus is on them to create something, and they were there was nothing at all. There wasn't even anything like a half chance. By the end, they were just smacking it from 25 yards, miles into the stands. Mm. What do you think of all the stuff Pochettino was saying after the game? Because uh, he kept going around in different. Different interviews, different sort of uh, settings, repeating the same phrase about another coaching staff. Uh, when he, uh, I think, when he spoke in the main press conference, it was I told your colleague before that with me or another coaching staff, the club needs to push on. Hmm. Why is he suddenly talking about another coaching staff all the time? Yeah, well, he wouldn't have said it by accident, would he? Not, um, not, not many times. I, I mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean, one interpretation is that he wants to say. Like, he wants to present this alternative. You know, he's saying, well, if you think I'm that bad, you know, would, do you think another manager would have got, like, second and third place places in the Premier League? But, who, like, but who's saying that? Who, 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 thinks he's, who thinks he's that bad? Like, all it has, all it has been is, wow, what you think? What an amazing yeah. job. So I think it might... I, I mean, instinctively, I wonder if it might come from, like, a kind of defensiveness or prickliness to remind people of how well he's done. Um or whether he just thinks it's kind of convenient to float the possibility of him not being there. Like, I mean, his his future is you know slightly up in the air. Like, there are contract negotiations going on. I think um, it's been reported first by Adam Craft in the Daily Mail that Real Madrid have been in touch with him. So maybe maybe it suits him politically to say, you know, maybe maybe I won't be here next year, and then and then and then see how many FA Cup semi-finals we get to. Bit of a dangerous game, though, isn't it? For for a manager who's who's got a team which everybody, like the whole world, knows is is way underpaid. You know, everybody everybody knows that the Tottenham are just are are, are you know getting paid a much much less than they could get paid at, at other clubs. So he needs like a full kind of a real spiritual commitment by his players to say the money stuff doesn't isn't really important to me what's important to me is being part of this amazing team we have here at Tottenham with our great coach Maurizio Pochettino we're we're a team that can do great things and i believe in this oh except pochettino was kind of flirting with other clubs and maybe he wants to go somewhere else and maybe he actually doesn't want to stay and if he's not going to be here then do i want to be here i mean i am being underpaid and maybe i should get out of here so a kind of a loss of confidence in the project Set by the manager, it could result in a bank run type situation where, you know, this time, you know, in September, the only stars left at Tottenham, the only star left at Tottenham is Daniel Levy. Yeah, completely. And, and Pochettino has had this really difficult balancing act over the last few years, which is to main, like you're right, he has to maintain that sense of kind of zealous enthusiasm from the players in the project while all, recognizing that a lot of those players are slightly aggravated about how little they're paid in relative terms. You know, that has meant this year that he has had to effectively freeze out Danny Rose and Toby Alderweireld, who I think would, you know, we can, would definitely be in their first team if they were fit and focused and wanted to be there, just like he did to Carl Walker at the end of last season. And I actually think that maybe on, on Saturday we saw an example of a game where if Toby had been fit and he hadn't been frozen out, then Spurs could have done with him because you know, he's, he is a better defender at the moment than, than, than Damon Sanchez is. 
How did they justify doing that? Tottenham, Tottenham. I mean, how do they justify two defenders who are among the best in the league in their position, Rose and Alderweireld? They've already lost Walker, so their entire they've they've lost sort of three out of their first choice four def- uh, uh, four defenders from, I guess, this time last season, uh, which is a lot for any team to absorb. But how can they justify not giving these guys improved contracts when you know everybody saw in their accounts that the chairman doubled his own pay to to more than six minutes, so he gets paid more than anyone? Like, what is the justification for running the club in that way? I think that I guess the theory is if you say yes once, like if you say yes to Alderweireld and Rose, or to yourself, you'd have to say yes. You'd have to say yes to everyone else. But I mean, he, if he if he awards himself a fat pay rise, then I mean that's the example that he's giving to the yeah. to the group. I mean, he, he he said yes to himself, so everyone else is going to be like, "Well, what about me?" Well, he might say that he he's kind of, he is the only chairman of the club, whereas he's got kind of fifteen players who want pay rises. And therefore, he may, maybe that's why he can justify a different rule from him than for the rest of the players. Um, but and, and also, I think, like on another level, is it really about money, or is it really, or do these guys just not want to play for? No, 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 no. I, I, I don't think it's it's not about it's not so it's not the money that matters. It's the fairness. It's it's like it's the sense of hang on, I'm getting screwed here. That like I'm being taken advantage of the the actual amount of money. I don't think it's so important because we're talking about a bunch of guys who are all getting paid quite a lot of money. None of them have, have money problems, yeah. we hope, unless they're like gambling it away. But it's, it's the sense of fairness or sort of integrity within the, the group. Is everyone equally committed or are some people kind of, you know, working even harder and some people kind of, you know, uh, you know claiming the creaming off the, the profits from our collective labor? Yeah, I, I think that is part of it. But another issue, which I know is something which the squad has discussed, is the fact that now that Kyle, like Kyle Walker has basically been vindicated for going, not just because he's doubled his money, but also because he's won the Premier League. And now the rest of the players are thinking, well, you know, this, there is a, it's not like he's gone to, to go to play for a big club and been frozen out or not played much or only got the money. He's gone and, he's gone and won the title as well. And that means that the other players now think might be a little bit jealous of Walker in a way which they might not have been of other departures. Okay, Jack Pitbrook, brilliant stuff. Uh, thanks so much for chatting to us. Cheers, guys. Off to bed, I went. My head was fried. I didn't even know there was a damn card in the thing. Fucking I was horror. devastated. I'd been off the smokes a while. Sod that. Back on there. <laughs> I had a date organised for that night. A first date with someone cancelled that. My head was gone. <laughs> Woke up the following morning and to my absolute amazement, I read this message on my phone. Let me tell you, you're only getting this because you're a former player of mine and <laughs> I'm not too sure too many journalists would have got the third time lucky. Hi Richie, sorry the equipment didn't work again, but it's no problem for me to do it again. Maybe see you in Ipswich one day for third time lucky. Best wishes, Mickey. Best wishes, Mickey. I got a job on a Wednesday. I'd been a player up until that, that yeah. Wednesday. Took the training on Thursday. I picked the team on Friday and I took the game on Saturday. So I got a job on a Wednesday. I'd been a player up until that, yeah. that Wednesday. Took the training on Thursday. Picked the team on Friday and I took the game on Saturday. So it's a bit of a whirlwind. Oh God. When I'm just looking down, I think all the red lights are still on. It looks like we've recorded this successfully. Mick, thank you so much for agreeing to do this so many times. Richie, I sincerely hope so, because there's no fourth time lucky, let me tell you. Is anyone else getting the feeling this whole Spurs thing might start falling apart pretty quickly? It's a good point you make there. It's fine for certain managers of certain clubs to play these kind of games with their chairman, but at the type of with the type of team that he's trying to build, the type of ethos that he has there, this one-for-all stuff, it's, it is tricky and players mightn't... If you're looking at that, you might think, okay, well, I'll take my chances that he is going that he's only playing games with the board. But you might be worried. You might be about to sign a new contract and think twice about it mm. if you feel the manager's not going to be there or that the commitment is wavering in some way. Yeah. I, I, I think it's tricky because you only need one or two little bits to start coming off before the confidence starts to collapse. It's like, oh, this is all, this is all just turning now. People are, people are leaving. Get out while you yeah. still can. The glue that, hel- that holds these 
teams together as well is often actually winning things. Yeah. You know, I mean, if they'd won the league and you're like, well, okay, well, the promise of future riches here at Spurs because we're going to keep winning the league mm. means I'll stick together because I feel good and I feel valued as a footballer. But if you're not winning championships and you're also not getting what the market says you can earn yeah. as Kyle Walker is now and doing all of the all of the agents who are in your ear all the time saying I just don't know I really admire you mm. I really admire not a lot there's not a I lot don't meet a lot of people there. in my in my business that would stick around to get paid half of what you could get there's, paid. A, there's not there's not a lot of lads out there who put up with being treated by this I really admire that I really admire <sighs> what you're doing for Tottenham listen not for nothing you know yeah you know I could maybe engineer a move for you I mean listen it would be a pain in the arse for me as well yeah. but if that's a lot of extra, a lot of extra paperwork. Yeah, and money, obviously, but that's neither here nor there. Obviously, of course, I know you don't care about money. That's what yeah. you've shown over the last four years. You've also, you've also prime years in your the career. Fact of course, that Daniel, Le- Daniel Levy might be looking at it, going, "Well, you know, okay, Poch might maybe is throwing his toys out of the pram here, but we've still got the main man, Daniel Levy, <laughs> D. Levy. You know, and while where there's Levy, there's hope. You know, if if Harry goes to Madrid or Manchester for 200 plus. You know, Poch goes wherever he goes. Delhi, of course. Uh, who else have they got? Dyer, Christian Eriksen. Dyer to Manchester United. Future star of the World Cup, of course. Uh, Christian Eriksen, maybe Barcelona. Yeah. That's uh, once you've, once you've uh, totted up that little lot. That's <laughs> one billion. It's one, he- it's one hell of a war chest <laughs> um, to build the next team because I've done it before and I can do it again. You know, people talk about Pochettino, but people forget Levy brought Pochettino. Before Pochettino, there was Levy. After Pochettino, there will still be Levy. So maybe he is thinking also in a in a quite calculating way. Well, you know, I've, I could, I've got a lot of good players, but it is only one team. They were always going to go eventually. And if I sell them, sell them at the top of the market, start again, jobs are good. And I mean, he could be thinking that. I think it's actually quite difficult to get together a team of the quality that Tottenham now have. You know, players like Kane and Ali and Ericsson and, and Son and manager like Pochettino, it's kind of it's it's difficult to just buy these types of this type of talent. If it was easy, everybody would do it. But maybe Levy thinks he's a little bit more special than the other chairman. It's Champions League semi-final week to hear Ken's dispatches from Anfield. You'll need to be signed up to the World Service. You can do it on secondcaptains.com. To those of you already with us, well, we'll talk to you tomorrow. Thanks, Murph. Thank you, Owen. Thanks, Thanks Ken. Thank you, Owen. Thank you, Ken. Safe travels, Ken. And Thank thanks you. so much for listening today. Which phone is that? That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home, those, those, those boys. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 